later in the package, later in the bill, which automatically registers ineligible voters, you see that they've created this system where you can flood the market with illegal voters, you have no safeguards with voter ID in place, and you, you literally open the door for widespread fraud. And You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to the Code Red podcast. My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Our guest today is Jessica Anderson, executive director of Heritage Action. Jessica has lots of experience mobilizing grassroots support for conservative causes. Jessica also served in the Trump administration at the Office of Management and Budget. Today, we are going to learn from Jessica why we must pull out all the stops and defeat the Pelosi-Schumer legislation to federalize our election laws. Jessica, welcome to the Code Red podcast. And can you give us an overview of why we must defeat H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act? Absolutely. Thank you, Alan, for having me today. It's a pleasure to be on the show and to talk about this incredibly important and looming issue of election integrity. HR1 or S1, what we are calling the Corrupt Politicians Act, is an incredibly dangerous bill as it codifies and puts into law a federal overreach and overtake of our election systems. As you know, Elections are held and coordinated at the state and local level. What the Corrupt Politicians Act does is it overcomes any of those state laws and puts in electoral practices that will ultimately enable, and even in some places encourage fraudulent behavior. And the bill is incredibly long, it's over 600 pages, but the key points of it to pull out are how it supports ballot harvesting, false voter registration. It makes it easier for illegal immigrants to actually register to vote. Um, it has provisions for duplicate voting. And then it has a whole slew of provisions that are around the First Amendment and free speech. And then the part that is probably even more egregious, if you weren't worked up about the bill by now, you should be, it goes further to publicly fund political campaigns. It creates a six to one map on political contributions up to $200. What this means is that the American people would be forced to spend millions of dollars to fund the campaigns of political candidates. This is an egregious overstep. This is a sabotage of everything that we have come to know and hold dear of our electoral process. And conservatives should fight this with all of our might. The fight is ongoing, it is not yet done. The bill is in the Senate now, but it's not, it's completion and it's signage is not certain. It is very much a jump ball and something that we as activists can engage in here today. Thank you for that overview. Let's now look at a few of its major components. And I'd like you to explain why these things are a threat actually to free and fair elections. This law would not permit voter ID laws that are currently in, in place throughout the United States of America. 
Why is that a real threat to the integrity of our election system? So the way the system works now is when you arrive at the polls, depending on your state law for voter ID, and most states do have a voter ID for in-person voting, you're required to show your ID to vote. What the Corrupt Politicians Act would do is it would say that voters are no longer, regardless of the state law, they are no longer required to show ID and they can simply sign a statement in which they claim to be who they say they are. The concern with this is that it will undermine many states' voter ID laws, which were enacted, as we all know, to combat impersonation fraud. So that's when a person shows up at a polling place in the morning and says, "I'm hi, I'm Jessica Anderson. I'm going to sign a statement which says I am that. And then they go to another polling place later in the day and they say, hi, I'm Jessica Anderson. I'm going to sign a statement that says that. And they can vote multiple times throughout the day and they can vote regardless of who that person says they are. This is impersonation. It's, a, it's the leading cause of fraud and it allows and opens the floodgate for voter registration fraud, duplicate voting. And then the problem that is really concerning is, is the potential for ineligible individuals such as illegal aliens to vote. And when you take that and you couple it with a provision that's later in the package, later in the bill, which automatically registers ineligible voters, you see that they've created this system where you can flood the market with illegal voters, you have no safeguards with voter ID in place, and you, you literally open the door for widespread fraud. And so this is a huge part. People have questioned whether or not this is actual fraud. It is. There's significant amount of cases that have shown that this is this leads to more and more fraud without a voter ID. And the last point I would make on this is that voter ID laws are supported by the majority of Americans. Recent polling that just came out shows that over 80% of Americans across the country support this. And you even have states providing um, a mirrored law to have voter ID for absentees. So heading in the direction of securing our elections should be the focus of, of Congress today. Instead, this bill would take it in the opposite direction and it would sabotage those state voter ID laws and open the door for impersonation fraud, voter registration fraud, duplicated, duplicate voting, and then voting by these ineligible individuals such as illegal aliens. Throughout our country, we have election laws, and uh, these laws different, differ from state to state, from community to community. Would this legislation, if enacted and signed into law, and President Biden has said that he would sign it into law, would this law overtake and impose national law on all the, in a sense, wipe out local control over the election process. That's exactly what this law would do, this bill would do if it was made law. It would, it would supersede any state-based or local-based law or ordinance. So if you have a state that does require voter ID for in-person or for absentee, it would essentially make it mute, it would go away. And now you would have no requirements uh, for a voter ID throughout the entire country, irregardless of what the state law is. So it's, it's a federalism issue as well, because it's, it's, taking the, it's taking states' rights and it's 
overstepping them with this federal overreach through the Corrupt Politicians Act. And that's just yet another reason why we as conservatives should oppose this bill. You mentioned that there is a public financing component to this bill. Is it true that money that would come from taxpayers to subsidize in the tune of millions and millions of dollars to subsidize elections, is it true that some of this money could actually be spent by politicians on personal expenses to pay off personal expenses? The provision that you're talking about is threefold. It allows the public to fund political campaigns and then it allows the candidate campaigns to actually draw a salary from those publicly financed and publicly funded funds. So what that looks like in practice is that candidates that take a salary out of their campaigns today would now be able to be paid with, pay that with public funds provided by a, the six to one match program that's set up with the publicly funding of political campaigns. So what these provisions do is it essentially forces the American people to spend millions and millions of dollars to fund the campaigns of political candidates. And it doesn't even have provisions that are based on the state or based on the area. So you could have a taxpayer in Texas or an American taxpayer in Florida subsidizing and directly paying for the campaign of, let's take AOC or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. And so you, you've created this warped universe um, with the public financing components around these political campaigns. And it's, it's, it's just so egregious. You almost don't even know where to draw the line in the sand because the left has gone so far with an overstep um, when it comes to these provisions. And, and it clearly is, you know, take from one to give to all in the name of part partisan and political persuasion. In many what we call blue states, Democrat-controlled states, in 2020, there were all sorts of loosening up of the elect electoral processes. And one of the things that occurred in numerous states was online voter registration, where there was no real check as to who was registering to vote. And uh, normally you would have to appear or sign an affidavit saying that you're an American citizen. Um, and this opened the floodgates for all sorts of folks to cast ballots, sometimes multiple ballots. Does this federal legislation enshrine this Emer what they called an emergency change because of the pandemic. It's interesting that you bring that up, Alan, because what these COVID convenience laws of November did is, is they opened the floodgates for, for these provisions in our election system to be much more loose and creating much more opportunity for fraud and for, for cheating. And one of the ways that it did this is with how they handled voter registration. And so what the Corrupt Politicians Act does is, is it actually takes it a step further. Um, and it does this through three 
main provisions in the bill. It mandates same day registration. So what that means is that a person can show up. Remember, they don't under HR one, the Corrupt Politicians Act, they don't need to prove who they are. So they can show up with no ID. They can register to vote the same day. They don't have to require proof or verification of their personal information or that they are who they say they are. And they can immediately register to vote upon request, even the day of an election. So that's one that under under um, underrides our system safe and secure uh, election in, in, in an incredibly significant way. The second is that, is that the Corrupt Politicians Act automatically registers ineligible voters. So what this means is states will be required to automatically add two voter registration rules, every person in that state, regardless of their voter eligibility. So if they take place in any certain, you know, any government program at the state level, which would include things like receiving a welfare check or a COVID stimulus check. And what these provisions do is will automatically in, enroll these ineligible voters without any check in the system that they are citizens or that they actually can prove who they say they are. And so you open the door for illegal aliens to be able to register directly to vote the same day of an election or with this automatic registration. And then the third provision of this is around unconstitutionally requiring states to restore the ability of felons to vote. So upon release from prison, every felon would immediately be restored the ability to vote without a registration process or a cooling off process or any sort of state law. What the 14th Amendment to the Constitution says is it allows states to restrict voting rights to those who have participated in a rebellion or other crimes. States have that constitutional authority to decide when and if to restore that right to vote so long as they don't do it in a discriminatory fashion. And so the maneuvering that HR1, S1, the Corrupt Politicians Act do, does is not only with the same day voter registration and registering ineligible voters, but it also attempts to unconstitutionally overrule the 14th Amendment with this new statute. So you can see, Alan, that the trend line from November of the COVID convenience laws and, and making it easier for for people to cheat and to manipulate the system has just made it so much worse with the Corrupt Politicians Act that we would be in a place where there would be open floodgates for fraud, very little checks and balances or constitutionally protected amendments to safeguard our election. Going through the literature surrounding the HR1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, come across a phrase which I would like you to define for us, which is voter harvesting. What do we mean by harvesting votes? What is that process and why is that a danger to our free and fair election? So ballot harvesting is, is something that's been talked about a lot. And there's some cases out of California um, that have seen this uh, directly. Um, and actually they've, they've, they've been able to have court cases around them as well that proves that ballot harvesting happens. But the, in the various simple um, way to describe it, 
ballot harvesting require ballot harvesting requires that the ballots would be counted outside of the voters precinct and that they would be harvested over time to then add to the ultimate count at the end of the day or in some cases as we saw in november counting that continued um, later in the week or later the next two or three days so when ballots are counted outside of a voter's precinct, this removes the integrity of the local government to verify those voter rolls and to oversee elections um, at the local level. And it gives the power to count these votes entirely to the federal government. So you'd have yet again, the ability for, for, for a federal government agent and the federal government based out of DC to have a long arm into the state and into these into the ballot counting um, at the local level. What is um, the provisions in this proposed legislation? By the way, the legislation has passed the House of Representatives and the and the battle uh, is actually moved to the United States Senate. And what provisions are there in the Corrupt Politicians Act having to do with um, registration and paper and the use of paper ballots? And why is that also troublesome? So that's also a, another interesting point of the bill because it, it, it goes directly against and I know I sound a little bit like a broken record here, but how states have mandated whether or not you use paper ballots, do they have a secure and safe watermark on the actual ballot itself? Um, are they sent into a machine or does a poll worker or poll watcher put them into the machine, et cetera? And so what this bill does is it upends all of that. And, and in a way, it allows for more fraud at the local level because you have unaccountable ballots that aren't watermarked, that don't have the safety and security seal on them. And so you have the potential for fraudulent ballots to be collected and then to be counted. And so, you know, all of these provisions between upending voter ID and superseding the ability of states to have voter ID laws all the way to the most intimate part of when you're when a voter is in the ballot box voting and they can't feel like their vote is safe and secure. You see the trend line that the progressive left is is doing here, which is to open a floodgate for voters that are illegal and the potential for more and more fraud to overcome the system in a way that allows the Democrat left and the progressive left to win every single election going forward. It interferes with the ability of, of states um, to be able to determine any of their qualifications for voters. And it undermines all of the safeguards that we've come to know and hold dear um, at our electoral system. And, they're, and, and the progressive left is doing this on purpose. This isn't being done um, you know, on a whim or without thought. They're very intentional and this is why this is their number one priority. It's called HR1 S1 for a reason. It's Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Schumer's signature piece of, of, of legislation, this Congress. And the goal is clear to rig the election system in favor of Democrat politicians by undermining America's electoral process. And it's for that reason that we're calling it the Corrupt Politicians Act because that's exactly what it is.
In 2020, there was a phenomenon of private money in, in, a, in a substantial way. It was the, the founder of Facebook mm -hmm. who plopped down about a billion dollars to um, enhance the electoral system with what was called drop boxes. And can you describe that? And can you tell us if HR1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, actually becomes law? Will, will this private intercession into our electoral process actually be able to continue? The private intercession um, from private companies like Facebook and there are others, the rapper Two Chains actually uh, was in the middle of this in, in, in Georgia. Um, Laura Ingram reported on that early in the, in the cycle last October. Um, the cases of private interference at the ballot range from you know, simple things that you think are, are somewhat harmless, like vote in the park days, get your free food and register to vote, to really dangerous intrusions into the electoral process, like you saw with Mark Zuckerberg, of, of financing drop boxes in particular places of the state that were on private property, not on government property. They had no surveillance, no accountability, and no system that checked back into the larger electoral nexus in the state that the Secretary of State or that the counties were running. And so, and so what HR1, the Corrupt Politicians Act would do is it, it, would, it would open the floodgates for private funding into the electoral system with, without any safeguards. And this is a huge problem because you can have these, these Hollywood billionaires come in and they can basically create a uh, infrastructure for the election that favors their political candidate. And so states right now are actually working to, to push back against that. You have um, the state of Georgia, for instance, just recently passed a provision that said you couldn't have any private funding um, in elections. And they went so far as to say you couldn't have private um, interactions within the 150-foot barrier for electioneering. The state of Arizona has a provision right now this week that's, that's being um, debated in the Arizona legislature, which does the same. And so, Alan, you, you, you see that the concern on private funding or private interference into our election creates an infrastructure that would support one political candidate over another. And you essentially have rich, elite oligarchs coming in, reaching their hand into the state system and to think, well, of course we want people to have access to vote. Yes, absolutely we want people to have access to vote. We want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Conservatives have been very clear about that. We're not looking to limit the vote. What we're trying to do is create a system that protects the integrity of the ballot box. It protects the security and the sanctity of this deeply American held um, tradition and constitutional right of voting. And so not wanting to have private interference in the election is not a crazy thing to ask for. In fact, it's common sense because why would you allow 
you know, an elitist out of California or Mark Zuckerberg with a clear agenda to create the infrastructure around the electoral process. And so it's a very frustrating discussion that's happening, but conservatives shouldn't shy away from it. We should be clear that, look, we're making it easier to vote, harder to cheat. And what HR1 does is it does the exact opposite. It makes it easier for those that seek to manipulate the electoral process. It makes it easier for them to cheat in ways without any accountability or any state's rights to oversee the electoral process. And this private funding is a huge problem of it. You mentioned Georgia reforms that the Georgia legislature and the governor signed into law that would uh, protect the integrity of the electoral process. The left's knee-jerk reaction to that has been to label the Georgia legislature and all Republicans as racist, trying to deny uh, minorities and others access to the ballot box. Can you address that charge? Absolutely. It's a false attack on Georgia's new election reform bill when the left has gone so far as to compare it to the hideous Jim Crow laws of the long gone Old South age. The language that's in the in the Georgia integrity bill on voter IDs for absentee is identical to the language that's actually in federal law. And the idea that Georgia is somehow doing something nefarious by preventing gift, gave, gift giving at the polls is, is really bizarre. And so when you, when you look at what the left is doing, they're resorting to these sorts of, of name calling and smearing because they're unwilling to debate the actual issues. Why is it that the left is so afraid of requiring voter ID when requesting and returning a mail-in ballot? Why is the left so afraid of prohibiting private money from funding election administration? Why don't they want counties to finish tabulating all the votes by 5 p.m. the day after the election? And why would they not want to ensure security for absentee ballot drop boxes by requiring them to be inside voting sites? I mean, these are common sense provisions that the state of Georgia did, and it represents a major step in our fight for free and fair elections. And unfortunately, the progressive left knows it. And that's why they are using these, these attacks, calling it, calling the bill racist or an assault on voting rights, because they are trying to smear the very progress that's being made for free and fair elections. And they want to send the signal, Alan, they want to send the signal to other states that are considering similar packages, things that are moving in Florida, in Texas, in Arizona, Wyoming, other states as well. They want to send the signal that, that corporate America at the pawn and as the as manipulated, manipulated by the progressive left, that they will not allow that to happen. And so they're trying to instill fear in these other states in a way that actually suppresses our ability to have free and fair elections. They've rebuked the role of they rebuke the role of states to make these state decisions. And this couldn't be further from the truth of what these bills, Georgia, other states are actually trying to do. We know this, but the nexus of this, of, of creating this culture of doubt and this momentum against these bills in other states is something we have to be very vigilant to fight against. We cannot um, sit back and, and bow down to this 
woke corporate agenda that's being manipulated by the left. And then furthermore, you know, Alan, I really believe that they are using Georgia as a test case to say, this is why the progressive left is advocating for the Corrupt Politicians Act. See what a state like Georgia can do. See how egregious their bills are. This is why we need the federal overtake through HR1, S1, the Corrupt Politicians Act. And that's why they're starting to call for, for a democracy carve out that would nuke the filibuster to push this bill through the Senate. We cannot fall, um, we cannot fall for this trick nor can we allow the left to run ramsock over the narrative of this Georgia bill. We must defend it. We must defend it with all our might. And we must be clear to point out that these are common sense provisions that make it easier to vote, harder to cheat. And the last thing I would say on Georgia, this, this conversation that the left is pushing that these bills will limit access to the ballot, they didn't even read the bill, Alan. <laughs> The, the Georgia bill actually adds two Saturdays of voting and optional Sundays. So it's actually expanding the ability for people to vote outside of just the Monday through Friday workday. That's expanding access last time I checked. But again, they refuse to read the bill and to acknowledge the common sense reforms in it because it doesn't fit their narrative that they're trying to push right now against the majority of Americans across the country. Major League Baseball jumped into this fray and moved their uh, all-star game from Atlanta to Denver. And um, the, uh, the duplicity of what they did is shown that Colorado's election laws, especially on voter ID, are more stringent than what was passed by the Georgia legislature and signed into law by the governor. I would like to conclude this because I know that you have a very, um, a very active schedule and I love your fighting spirit and your message that we cannot simply accept that the left is going to impose some really bad laws on this nation, especially in terms of the electoral process. I'd like you to briefly tell us, as Executive Director of Heritage Action, what is Heritage Action doing to stop the Federal Corrupt Politicians Act? And what can the average American do? And what should they be doing to fight this legislation? Well, Alan, this is an all hands on deck moment for the conservative movement. This is an existential crisis to our electoral process going forward, period. And so from our end at Heritage Action, we are investing uh, millions of dollars into the security of our election, first by fighting the Corrupt Politicians Act, and then by tackling some of these state-based reforms in states like Georgia, Texas, Florida, Arizona, total of eight states across the country. So the strategy for pushing back against the Corrupt Politicians Act is to target those moderate or vulnerable Democrat senators in states like Arizona with Senator Sinema and Senator Kelly, West Virginia with Senator Manchin, Senator Tester in Montana, 
Senator Hassan in New Hampshire, and an argument could be made to go into a state like Georgia, where we know Senator Warnock is up for re-election in 2022, and chip away at his political credibility for supporting the federal overreach of the election. So if you look at those four to five states, you see that we actually have an opportunity not only to oppose the bill on the merits, on the actual policy provisions that we just outlined, but also on the process. In order for the Senate to actually pass this bill, they'd have to nuke the filibuster, which means that they're going to need 51 votes to end the debate to nuke the filibuster, which would then nuke the filibuster. So you'd have to have someone like a Senator Manchin or a Senator Cinema actually vote to end the filibuster. They both have said that they don't want to do that. We want to hold them at their word. So we're running television ads in Arizona and West Virginia, radio persuasion ads. We've had a series of events in West Virginia, some in Arizona as well. And then we're activating our 2 million grassroots activists all across the country to drive calls to action, both calls into Senator offices, emails, local letters to the editor, engagement on social media, and really creating an echo chamber around the country, pushing back against the bill, not only for the policy, but also for the process at stake. And this is where we need help. Any American, whether you have one hour a week or you have 10 hours a week, we could use your help. Plug into the system, visit saveourelections.com and learn how you can directly work to fight for election integrity in your local community. Whether you can write a letter to the editor and get it placed in one of those target states, come to one of our events, show support for election integrity, or engage directly with your community. Talk to five people in your neighborhood about the dangers of the Corrupt Politicians Act. Ask them to go with you to visit your senator as their home with this recess period. Ask them to go with you to call their senator's office and urge them to vote no on the Corrupt Politicians Act. Again, whether you have an hour or you have 10 hours, there's something for everyone to do and you can join the larger team at saveourelections.com today and get involved in this fight for election integrity at the local level in your communities as grassroots activists. Well, thank you very much, Jessica. You've been extremely informative and um, Secure America Now will do everything we will continue to do what we've been doing and step up our pace um, in letting our elected officials know that we are not going to stand by and allow the left to actually destroy our electoral system. So thank you for taking the time uh, for sharing your knowledge. And of course, every day you're doing God's work <laughs> in terms of trying to stop this from passing the Senate. Thank you, Jessica. And anytime you would like to join us again, there's an open invitation. And at some point, I'm sure we'll knock on your door asking you to um, educate us one more time. Absolutely. Alan, thank you so much for having me and to the Secure America Now network across the country. It's great to partner together on this. And let's be hopeful we can block this bill and get this done to secure our elections. So thank you all. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Code Red podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. 
You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.